0: Good morning. Welcome to Mount Calvary Church. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us. You made it through the snow, ice, and uh, we're glad that you could be here. People have been asking about my eyes. Uh, thank you. My pink eye is gone. Praise the Lord. Um, yeah, and I want to encourage you, like Pastor Ray had said, we'd love to have you come out next Sunday night. The annual meetings are a really good time, a, a great time, to hear about what God's doing in this church, to hear about our different ministries. Sometimes we don't get to share that or we don't have time to share that. And so you'll get to hear from all of our directors and all of our pastors. You'll get to hear from the elders and from the deacons about what God has done this last year and what we give God the praise and the glory for for last year. And then also what we're looking forward to next year. And so it's it's a great time for us. And what we'll do is we will, like Ray said, We'll be praying as part of that, since we're not going to be doing that tonight. Um, the kids will still do a prayer service next Sunday night. So Melissa will probably share early in the evening, and then the kids will go and do a prayer time, and then we'll we'll finish our evening with some time of prayer. So just want to invite you to that. I think it'd be a great thing for you to be at. Let's pray as we open up God's Word. Father, we're thankful um, for your grace this morning. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for the many blessings you've poured into each of our lives. And we're thankful for this church and for our church family and for the friends and the people around us in this room um, that you've blessed us with, the community that we have. And we're thankful for the people that are serving right now. In the building across the, across the way that are serving downstairs with our little kids, um, what a gift they are to us. And God, we're thankful that we can worship you today, that the words that we're singing um, aren't just words and they're not just lyrics, but it's truth about you and about your love and about your plan to come back to make things right. And so, God, we acknowledge the words that we've been singing um, We're thankful um, for you, God, and for who you are, and for how you bless us. And so, God, now, as we continue to worship, as we read your word, and we think about our mission, about the gospel, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would um, soften our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives, that you would give us courage and boldness and opportunities to be faithful to you. And so, God, we pray that you would work in powerful ways this morning by by your Spirit. And it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're finishing up our conversations series. um, And I have loved getting to hear from different people um, here who have had the opportunity to have good conversations with people. It's encouraging to hear that we are having conversations with our family members and with our neighbors and with people that we work with, and that they are asking us hard questions. And it's been, and though that's challenging, it's good for us to be a thinking church because like we shared last week, part of apologetics is knowing the right questions to ask And knowing how to make an answer, to give an argument for why you believe what you believe, because we're not interested in just believing because it's what we've always known or it makes us feel good. I'm interested in believing truth and sharing truth. And so it's been good to hear about some of these conversations. This morning, we're talking about the purpose of apologetics, why would we defend our faith? Why would we make an argument for what we believe? The purpose of apologetics it's not about winning an argument. It's not about giving good information, it's not about looking smart. The purpose, the reason why we defend what we believe is so that we can have the opportunity to share the gospel. That's what apologetics is. We defend our faith in conversation with people so that we can share our faith with people. And that just makes sense. We're not arguing with people to win an argument. We're having conversations so that hopefully, God willing, we can get to the gospel, to the thing that really matters. And so this morning, we're talking about sharing the gospel, and I want you to understand that that the gospel, sharing the gospel, is the tool belt that we're, that we're wearing. And that as we think about just engaging our family members and engaging our community, as we wear this tool belt that's sharing the gospel, that we've got to be ready um, with different tools on our tool belt. And if you think of it like apologetics is one tool on your tool belt, that, you, that there are going to be some people that when you engage them in conversation that they're going to have philosophical questions about what you believe and about what they believe. And that tool and that tool belt, you've got to be ready to, to engage in that conversation. There are going to be some people that don't have questions. In fact, most people that I have conversations with, they don't have philosophical questions about Christianity or about the gospel but the, the point or what i 'm trying to do with this short series is to say we 've got to be ready to have multiple different types of conversations with people so that we can share the gospel. Some of those is a relationship some people maybe it 's your neighbor maybe the tool on that on for sharing the gospel with a neighbor isn't going to be apologetics. It might be a relationship. It might be inviting them to church. You might meet someone that you've never met before. Like you might, it might be a stranger. Maybe they're waiting your table or maybe they're sitting next to you on the airplane. It might not be apologetics. You might have 30 seconds for you to share what you believe. And all I'm, what I'm trying to do is, is, is this. We've got to be ready to share the gospel in multiple different ways, depending on the situation. And apologetics is a small piece of that. But the big picture is, is we've got to be eagerly looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And it's just, it's so interesting to me talking to people. Uh, It's what I do. I, I like conversation with people, but one What I have learned in having spiritual conversations with people is this. Most people don't have questions. Most people don't have questions about philosophy or history or archaeology or manuscripts or proof. Most people don't. Most people that I talk to have a warped understanding of the gospel. I.e., what, what I mean is they don't understand the gospel. And, and the, the Jesus that they reject isn't the Jesus of the Bible. Most people in our community, oh, well, we're churched. They've gone to church. It's a Christian community. Not in, the, not in my experience in having conversations with people. Most people have no idea what the gospel is. And they are looking, they're waiting to hear, to have someone give them a clear presentation, a clear um, verbally telling them, this is the gospel. This just happened a few weeks ago to me. I was talking to a, a single mom. And, and we'll, we'll talk more about this as the sermon goes on. But we were talking about faith and belief. And I asked her, I said, well, what do you believe? Well, I'm not a Christian for these reasons. I reject this and I reject this. I said, well, that's interesting because that's not Christianity. Like you reject something you grew up with and that's not the gospel. Can I share what the gospel is? And I shared with her and I said, have you ever heard that? You ever heard anything that you don't get to heaven by what you do and that that's why Christ came. And I shared the gospel and I said, have you ever heard that? And she said, I've never heard that in my entire life. And, And so the hope this morning is that we can learn a couple of different ways to have conversations with with people to clearly, clearly share the gospel. So two things that I want to do. I'm going to look at our primary responsibility, and then I'm going to look at how we do it. Pray, pursue, and share. The primary responsibility. And, and this, I mean... I almost thought this could go without saying, but it can't. Usually, the last thing someone says to you is the most important thing. The last thing someone says to you is one of the most important things. My wife went out of town this weekend. It's like, oh, good, what could go wrong? pink eye, dad in a snowstorm and three kids. And the last thing she said, I've got the meals ready for you. Fruit vegetables, feed the kids, the meals we've got, I've got ready. We've got it all. She made it really easy for me. She, she, it's important. Caroline has eye drops. Now, she didn't get pink eye, but she had other eye problems. Don't forget the eye drops, Matt. Okay? I can handle that. The last thing someone says is really important. And What's really cool about Christianity is we've got the last thing that Jesus says. That we can read this and we can see exactly what Christ is telling us. We've talked about Matthew 28 before. Okay, this is the resurrection of Jesus. And I, I won't spend too long here, but the scene in Matthew 28 is um, it's pretty mind-blowing. I mean, if you just think about these disciples, what was going through these disciples' minds. Everything they thought was going to happen with Jesus did not happen. They were expecting Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire and free them from their oppression. That's what they're expecting, even though Jesus had told them over and over and over and over again, that's not what I've come to do. But they're still so set on it. And then this Messiah... Jesus, who they fully believe in, he dies. And the low point of these disciples, as they come to terms with the fact that this isn't what we were expecting. Our Messiah has been brutally murdered. Yet you pair that with all of a sudden resurrected Jesus appears. So the low of your expectations just being completely shattered to the high of Jesus is alive and now he's talking to us. I mean, the shock. And the fear and the excitement and the disappointment that the disciples must have been feeling in Matthew 28 kind of comes to terms at the end of the chapter when Jesus tells them. He appears to them and he says, go to the mountain in Galilee and I'm going to give you your final charge. And he sends them to this mountain. and, And in Matthew 28, 17, I love this little phrase. They worshiped him as they're waiting for him. And some of them did what? They doubted Isn't that just interesting that they're worshiping, that they're confused, they're not sure what's going on? Jesus shows up and he doesn't reprimand them in their doubt. He doesn't say, you're wrong for doubting. Instead, he he puts them on mission. And what does he say to them? He says, make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. The last thing Jesus is saying to these disciples disciples here in Galilee is make disciples. And in case it's not not connecting for you, you don't make disciples if you don't share the gospel. Like the first step of teaching someone what Jesus taught, teaching someone about the life that Jesus gives and the forgiveness that Jesus gives and the mission that Jesus gives, all of that comes because of the gospel the first step of making disciples and going is sharing the gospel. And and I think we would all agree Matthew 28, it is the command to the church. It is the command to those who are following and learning about Jesus is to go and to make disciples. We make disciples by proclaiming the gospel. And if you don't by that, or that's not enough if you fast forward 40 days. So Jesus in these 40 days after this appearance on the mountain has multiple appearances to the disciples. Okay, this 40, time per- 40 day time period, and it's culminated in Acts chapter 1. We'll turn to Acts 1 for just a few minutes. Another scene that I just, I love picturing what this would have been like. Jesus is appearing to them one final time before he ascends to heaven. And this is what he says in verse six. So when they had come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on and he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way you saw him go into heaven. I mean, what what a scene. What a scene. Look at verse 6. What a disappointing question. Think about this question. The disciples are having this final conversation with Christ. And they've got one more opportunity. And look at the question they ask. Will you, at this time, restore the kingdom? Like, what are you talking about? You've got it all wrong. They're still focused on Jesus overthrowing Rome. Like, is it now? Like, we can't wait. We're ready for it. Is it now, Jesus, that you're going to fix this oppression? But Jesus says, no. Now, let me say it again to, for you. You will be my witnesses. You will represent to the world what you've learned about me. You will share with the world, live in front of the world, proclaim in front of the world what you have learned about me, about yourself and forgiveness and life and a relationship with God through me. You are a witness proclaiming what you've experienced in me. And so Jesus says it to them again, clearly about being a witness, which again, to kind of connect the dots, being a witness for Jesus in all the world, in the the towns and the cities and the nation in the world, starts with sharing the gospel. Like that's the starting point of being a witness is the truth of the gospel, of what Christ has come to do in giving us forgiveness for our sins. And look, and how the disciples respond. Verse 10. This is really funny. Actually, I mean, it's funny to picture. It's not funny. That's mean. They were gazing into heaven as he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. I mean, you just could picture it. Jesus is ascending into heaven. And he looks back at his disciples. Their mouths are open and they're watching. And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, these guys. Like... They don't get it. Like Jesus just has to be thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I left this world to? Like here they are just watching me, like just looking in the sky, gazing into the heavens. And he's like, well, I'll send two random people in white robes to smack them and say, wake up. What do the two men in the white robes, probably angels, say to the men? Stop gazing into heaven. Stop it. Stop standing there looking into heaven. It's time to go. It's time to move. It's time to be a witness. Stop looking into heaven. Stop waiting for him to come and fix your problems. It's time to be a witness. And at some point, these first disciples get it. I think it probably clicked at about this time, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit empowers them to fulfill this mission. And you read the book of Acts. Okay, You read the book of Acts. If there's anything that can describe that first church in the book of Acts is that they shared the gospel. And our next series that will start next Sunday is actually going to be kind of furthering this thought of us looking at the New Testament church in the book of Acts. Kind of painting a picture of this church found in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, and holding it up next to our church, Mount Calvary, and saying, do we look like this church in Acts? Should we look like this church in Acts? What should we look like? What shouldn't we look like? But for sure, the, the description in the book of Acts of the early churches that they shared the gospel, in fact, it's in every single chapter in the, in, in the book of Acts. I won't go through every chapter. I'm tempted to. You might get bored with that. Acts 4, 31. Just a few, literally every chapter, the gospel is proclaimed and people come to know the truth. These will be on the screen. Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 5, 14. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women... The church is growing because the gospel is being proclaimed. Acts 8, 1 through 4. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So look back at that verse. Who is being scattered? Okay, The church is being scattered. And when I say the church, it says except for the apostles. So... The normal people that have day jobs—they are scattered because of the persecution with Stephen, and so it says the church scatters because of the danger. Look at verse three: Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women, committing them to prison. Verse four: Those who were scattered—so, so people with day jobs, the normal people, not the apostles. It says. Went about preaching the word. The church gets scattered and the people as they go, they're sharing and preaching the gospel. They're talking about God. Look at Acts 11. We'll skip 9 and 10. Saul starts sharing the gospel. Cornelius comes to faith. But Acts 11, we we kind of meet back up with this scattered church. Now those, verse 19 who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. What are they doing, though? They're speaking the word to no one except Jews. But some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, are, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. What are they doing? Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This is primary. I mean, this is the primary call for the church is that all of us, whether you're in leadership or you're not in leadership, to share the gospel. And it's the picture of the church in the New Testament. And it is the call for us still today. And I get that this is not, it's not easy. I mean, we all have our struggles with this. We all have our excuses. Well, it's not my spiritual gift. Well, it doesn't matter. I, that's kind of mean. That sounded mean. It's, it, it's, I can't say it in a nice way. <laughs> the spiritual gift of evangelism doesn't keep you from sharing the gospel. Just like the spiritual gift of helps and generosity and mercy doesn't mean you don't have to forgive people. Well, it's not my gift. I'd love to forgive you, but sorry, just not good at it. Like... I don't have to give. Like, it's not my gift. No, the gift of evangelism. First of all, it's only found in one place. There's a lot of conversation and debate about what the spiritual gift is, but I think regardless of what that is and what that means, the call for evangelism, of sharing, sharing the gospel, is for every one of us, for anyone in the church. And I get, though, that I'm sympathetic to it isn't easy. It's not in everyone's personality, and it looks different for different people. I'm, I'm okay with that, the, but the call needs to be primary. It's our primary responsibility. And so how do we as, as church, the whole church, do this? Three things, three things. Pray and pursue and we share. We pray and we pursue and we share. We we pray. We we were hoping to do that tonight in, in a very um, guided way, according to the to the book of Acts. Uh, we'll do that next Sunday night of praying for God to intercede on behalf of the people that are in our lives. I mean, you look at the, the ch- first church in the in the book of Acts. Um, it's pretty clear, kind of the formula for ministry. Okay, the, the way that ministry happened and at the very beginning of sharing the gospel, always there was prayer. That's what Acts 4 was. That first passage we went, let's pray first and then let's go out with boldness. And so we'll spend some time praying according to um, the book of Acts next Sunday night. We pursue. All I, I mean it, by this is, is that we have people in our lives that aren't just Christians. That we are looking for opportunities with with the people in our lives, people we work with, and our neighbors, and our family members. That our entire circle and network of relationships isn't Mount Calvary Church. And it's not Mount Calvary Christian School. That we have connections with people that, that don't hold the same beliefs as we do. And that we're intentional about getting out of this, this, these ministries here. And that we are pursuing relationships with people who don't think and believe and act like we do. But then we share. We share. And this is a really simplified way of sharing. And I just want to kind of stay, say as I start that sharing looks different for depending on who you're talking to. sharing the gospel looks very different, but at some point in a close relationship or with a stranger, the gospel has to be proclaimed. Like being friends with someone, we talked about this with apologetics, bringing someone cookies. That's nice, but the cookies aren't going to lead them to Christ. They're they're probably not that, no, they are probably really good, but they're not that good. At some point, no matter what the relationship is, no matter how long you've known them at some point, the gospel has to be proclaimed. And so what we're really focusing on is how to have the gospel conversation. But I just want to say that it it looks very different depending on the relationship. Like I invited the, the, um, the person who makes me coffee a lot of times at Starbucks, like way too much probably. And I invited her and she came to church a couple months ago and it was like, and that was great. But at some point, you've got to share the gospel. Like, it's great to invite to church. But then the follow-up conversation is, well, what would you think? How was it? Have you heard anything like that? And so the hope is, is that we can kind of be wise enough to gauge all of our relationships and think about, okay, how can I take a step, a step towards having a spiritual conversation with whoever it is? And it may not be this right away. And maybe, hey, you want to come to church with me? Hey, have you ever thought about these? It may be a small step, but hopefully this is where we get to. Okay, so um, very similar to how I do apologetics is um, how I do evangelism, how I share the gospel, and it starts with questions. Starts with questions. Probably 99% of the time I'm having a spiritual conversation with someone, it starts with questions almost every single time. And it's these questions. I think you have a handout. I mean, these are the questions that I start with almost every single time. Do you have a church that you go to? Tell me about your church. Do you have a church? I'm a pastor. I care about your church. Like, this is what I think about. This is what I do. Do you have a church? And then pretty quickly after, I ask kind of a safe question like that. Like, do you have a church? A question like, what's your faith? I don't think this is on there. What's your faith background? Or what do you believe about God? Like, do you go to church? Do you have belief in God or what do you believe about God? I did this. This is how I started the conversation with the mom that I was talking to. What's your background? Tell me. And here's the thing most people are very happy to talk. Rarely do people get kind of pushed back by these questions. And then the question that really gets the conversation going um, is well, what do you think about heaven? Like, what do you think? You think. Is that something that, is that a place you think you're going? Is that a place that you'd like to go? And usually at that point, I l- just let them share. What's your faith background? Do you believe in heaven? What do you believe about God? Just ha- share with me what you think about religion. And so what we're going to do now is kind of walk through a couple of, I think, the more common answers that I get when having that kind of conversation. Um, first is, I have no idea. I've never thought about it. I mean, I, I remember talking to a college student who said this. Like, I was like, whoa, that's a lot of questions. Like, am I going to die soon? Like, what are you saying? Like, no, no, you're not going to. Like, well, I don't know. Uh, and, and so what I responded to, do you think that's something important enough that you should think about? I mean, eternity is a big deal. If it's true, don't you think it would be worthwhile for you to consider for you to think about? And then I say something like, well, can I share with you some of my thoughts about eternal life, about eternity, about heaven? If you haven't thought about it, would you be interested in hearing what I think about it? And again, most often the answer is, yeah, sure, that's fine. I'd love to hear more. The most common, I mean, and it's not even close, is this next one. I feel like I've been good enough. I've been religious religious enough that it's gonna work out in the end. Usually, it's not in that statement, but usually it's I think I've been good. Not like I am good enough. It's usually like, yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. I think I've done enough. And they start thinking about other people that aren't as good as they are. Like, I, yeah, I think I've been good enough. God's, God's good and God's loving. And I feel like at the end, it's going to, it's going to probably, it probably's going to just work out. Um, All the time, all the time, religious people who have sit in churches their whole lives, this is the answer I hear often, often. And it's, maybe it's surprising. It's really sad that this is what people think, that if I just I feel like if I'm good enough, it's going to cover over my mistakes. And then, get, plus, God is good. It's going to all work out in the end. And so, here are the questions that I ask Really? What if the standard of being good was perfection? So, and I, because I, Jesus says in Matthew 5 to be perfect as the Father is perfect. And so, I, it's like a hypothetical situation that I, throw out like if the standard was perfection of for your goodness how would you line up then how would you meet and everyone would say oh wow well nobody's perfect like you're like i know nobody's perfect or i say well what if the standard of goodness was just the 10 commandments have you said God's name in vain? Have you lied? Have you coveted? Have you taken anything that's not yours? Have you honored your parents and the Sabbath? Have you committed adultery, which Jesus says is lust? Like you start thinking through the Ten Commandments. And what do the, the Ten Commandments do? They real, you, you realize that you don't keep the Ten Commandments. And, and really what you're trying to do is you're just trying to set up that your good deeds can't get you to heaven. But not only that, you're trying to set up, and this sounds weird, you're trying to help them to see that they're not as good as they think they are. I mean, if we're being honest. And I usually say, like, I fail in all those areas. I've done all those things. All of us have messed up. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we'd all say, yeah, like, I do some good things. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, done a lot of bad things. And I say, and God's perfect. And the standard is perfection. And so then they're starting to think, oh man, oh no, oh no. Like we're in trouble. Like it starts for them to realize that, okay, like that does make sense. Or the, the last question, and it depends on the conversation. But if we could be good enough to get to God, why did he send Christ? Like what does Christ's death on the cross have to do with our relationship with him if we can get that by being good why would he come and why would his son be killed on the cross and again the hope is is that we can have as we have a conversation we can kind of pave the way to the significance of the cross the the another very common Answer, I don't see God as judgmental, but gracious and forgiving. God's forgiven me. Where did you learn that about God? I mean, how do you know God's like that? Like, where? I'm just curious. It's usually it. Like, where did you get this religious system and belief from? How do you know that? And I typically will say something like, "My everything I believe the only way that I can know it is through the Bible, and I because I believe it's god 's Word, and it teaches me how to t- how to get to god, and that 's not in god 's word. Has God forgiven everyone, even those who 've done awful things? Really what you're trying to do is you're ha- trying to have a conversation, asking questions, asking questions about their beliefs, they may have pushback, they may have well. I don't believe in the New Testament. There may be all, there's so many different ways the conversation can go. There really is. And so it's hard to kind of share kind of a general overview. But here's the questions that I have. And typically what I'll do at some point is say, can I share with you what I believe? Like, thank you. Like, that's really good to think about how you get to heaven. And can I share with you what I've come to understand according to the scriptures? And so that's what I do to close. Here's a couple of things as we wrap, wrap up. I mean, I've shared these before. Let's put up the next slide. The G-O-S-P-E-L. Um, when, I'm, like when I was talking to the single mom, I don't pull out my slide for the G-O-S-P-E-L, and I don't read these to her. Okay, that would be, it would just not be very conversational. But these are the things that should be included in a conversation with someone about the gospel. That God wants us to be with Him, but our sin separates us from Him. Sin that you've just established in the conversation is very real, and that by being good, you can't get to God, because that's why He sent Christ. That's why He sent Christ to pay for the forg- pay for our sins, giving us forgiveness, and that anyone who trusts in Christ alone can have eternal life. And, and typically, I'll share about my story. And I did this with this mom. I said, well, you know, I didn't grow up going to church. And I actually grew up thinking the opposite of your good deeds can get you to heaven. I actually grew up believing that my bad deeds keep me from heaven. My bad deeds are so bad that God would never want anything to do with me. And I shared with her how I was so guilty by the things that I've done. And that the first time I heard that Christ came and he died to forgive me and that he didn't care that he loved me anyways. And so I shared with her just a little bit about what God's done in my life. And then I asked her, I said, Is there anything keeping you from placing your trust in Christ right now? She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. Her kids were running around. It was crazy. It was like, ah! like they were throwing crayons. Like it wasn't. She had questions. She wasn't ready. But at some point you encourage, what's holding you back? Would you like to to put your trust in Christ right now? You could do that with them. You can just encourage them. It's just talking to God. It's just telling God that you do believe these things, that he did these things on your behalf. And if they're not comfortable with that, you can certainly pray with them. Here's my encouragement is, Be ready to ask questions, be looking for opportunities, and may we be a church. May we be a church that is faithful to the primary responsibility. God's responsibility for the church has not changed. And it's not just for the professional, the pastors, and the elders and the deacons, it's for all of us. And wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, maybe you haven't been a Christian for a long time, or maybe. You're introverted, or maybe whatever it is, be praying for a step that you can take with the power of the Holy Spirit to have a spiritual conversation. Have a question ready. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that this is the the gospel truth. And as we think about the gospel, it, it reminds us of what you've done for us. The gift that you've given us by forgiving us for the wrong things we've done. Fixing the problem that only you could fix. And it causes us, it causes me to just be so thankful. Grateful for who you are, for what you've done for me. The path that I was headed was such a, was such a bad direction. But, God, you came and you saved me. And it's true for all of us. God, I pray that as we reflect on what you've done on our behalf and for us, that this passion, this compassion would, would well up outside of us, that we would be bold enough and courageous enough to ask a question of someone, to have a conversation to take a step towards having a spiritual conversation. And that might be just inviting them to church. It might be just having someone over for dinner, but it might be asking someone about their faith background. But God, give give us all discernment. Give us wisdom how to be loving and how to be wise and how to be bold and to be able to do all of those at the same time. But God, I pray that we would not Um, be fearful, but that we would overflow with joy as we communicate with our community about the gift that you've given us in Jesus Christ. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen.